You are listening to a Modern Nonprofit Podcast, a podcast for leaders of today's nonprofits. We focus on the most pressing issues in a modern nonprofit, from grant writing and fundraising to back office administration like accounting. If you are looking for tips and hacks to make your nonprofit more modern and intentional, you've come to the right place. I'm your host, Tasha Anderson. I've worked with hundreds of nonprofits over many years in different capacities, first as an auditor, then a CFO of a nonprofit, and now I'm a CPA that owns the Charity CFO, an accounting firm working exclusively with nonprofit organizations. I'm passionate about trying to make the work of nonprofits even easier through the most modern practices I've learned from some of our most successful clients. Keep listening. Hey friends, I'm glad to be back with another episode of A Modern Nonprofit Podcast. I'm your host, Tasha Anderson, and today I brought along a new friend of mine, Daniel Grunstein. Daniel, you are the co-founder and CEO of a fintech company called Crowded, and I love talking about businesses like yours that have decided to devote their time and energy to the nonprofit space. So you work with nonprofit organizations helping them take control and keep track of some of their spending. And of course, this is music to my ears as a CPA that works exclusively with nonprofits. But interestingly, you have experience in the finance and tech world, but you've created this kind of platform called Crowded to work with some of these smaller organizations that I would argue are oftentimes kind of overlooked or priced out of, um, you know, the capability of, of these nonprofits to even leverage those tools. So Daniel, first thing I got to ask, how did you end up being inspired to create this uh, this tool for nonprofits? Like I always ask people that, how did you end up in the nonprofit space? I love to hear those stories. And then I want to hear a little bit more about Crowded. So first, tell us a little bit about your journey. How did you end up in the nonprofit? Yeah. Um, so I guess with any sort of challenge, there's the problem side and okay. the solution side. Um, and for me, I experienced the problem, uh, you know, I was, you know, always sort of that person tasked being treasurer, be, be it of a football <laughs> club or, or, um, of all sorts of groups in college and what have you. Um, and then I, when I got into the finance world, I started to, you know, see lots of solutions and it took me a very, very long time to actually put two and two together. Um, I never thought about, you know, things in the context of sort of my volunteer, Mm-hmm. Um, date um, until I came across sort of banking as a service and started to really look into it during my time mm-hmm. at JP Morgan. Um, and then, you know, um, I really started to look for well, how, what problems could I solve for this? And I went in so many different directions. And then, you know, as they sort of say, it was right under my nose um, mm-hmm. because, you know, it was a problem that I actually had. And I think it's important to tackle problems that you've experienced. Um uh, it, it just means you're a lot more, you know, relatable to your customers. You, you get them a lot quicker. And so when I had that sort of light bulb moment, I just couldn't turn it off. And I think people have ideas all the time. You know, I've, everyone has a million ideas today or whatever, especially people who are creative. But when you have that light bulb and you just can't turn it off, you're just like, no, I have to, I have to keep going. And so I left the bank and I started to look at how I could do it. And that's when I sort of started trying to talk to people in the space. And I met my co-founder who comes mm-hmm. from um, the, you know, nonprofit sales space, um, sold to nonprofits for many years. Um, and we, we got building. So that that's really the story. Um, yeah. The dreaded treasurer role. Uh, you know, I, although I don't serve a treasurer in, in too many capacities, but I certainly have in the past. But I think one of the, ba- the, the bane of all accountants existence, and I would imagine volunteer treasurer is at the top of the list as well, 
is just keeping track of the spending and the receipts and the transactions, especially if you're an organization very volunteer ran as many clubs, um, you know, whether it's um, sororities, fraternities, like you said, sport clubs, um, you know, PPO clubs, anything like that, where you have all of these people spending money and some are doing it on their personal cards and then getting reimbursement and some might use a debit card, some might have credit cards, some might be just buying things on an Amazon account and nobody knows who purchased what and what's it for and is it a legitimate purchase? This is um, something that I know my team works with all the time for organization. And I know this is certainly a challenge for all treasurers. So you're a good company. And I'm sure when I start talking about <laughs> the fact that it, there's not a whole lot of solutions out there for smaller organizations, and you probably came across that data on your research, like, okay, I'm a treasurer. I'm tasked with this, these responsibilities. Like there's got to be, there's the, the answer is always there has to be an app for that. There has to be some solids, right? Um, and sometimes it's a little surprising to find that there isn't one that really exists um, in the way we need it. So tell us a little bit more about this platform that you created called Crowded. What is it? What does it do? Kind of give us a little bit of an intro on onto what, what you've created here. Yeah, for sure. So I think, I mean, any startup really is either technology company or product company. And we're, <laughs> um, and we, we definitely know no fancy technology. Um, but we're, we're a product company and we're sort of, you know, treasurer obsessed. So mm. we start from the, the, what I consider to be the root of all evil in, um, treasurer, uh, nightmares, which is the handover. So mm. in a PTO, PTA fraternity, whatever it might be, booster club, even, you know, a girl scout troop, a different mm -hmm. parent, a different student is running it every year. And so when you hand over that system, you know, oh, sorry, that person had all the information. I don't know what we spent last year. Um, I don't know if we filed taxes. I don't even know REIN. So one of the things we, we do is, uh, you know, that treasurer handover or when, you know, you're coming on, on, on yourself, uh, not at the period of handover, just cleaning you up, making mm -hmm. sure you have tax exempt status, um, having a document vault where you can keep all those little documents, your EIN mm -hmm. verification letter, what have you. Um, and then opening a bank account. Cause like, if you go to a bank account, a bank, they'll say, find these documents, you know, and then mm -hmm. get all these things sorted or they won't even worry about your taxes. They'll just make sure you, you know, you exist. Um, sure. and then, and then it's all gone, um, uh, for the next person, the next person, the next person. So that was where we sort of start. And then we have basically a sort of flow of fund system where they can collect dues. They can collect money for any event. They can bank those in proper, you know, FDIC insured accounts. You're bringing proper banking to a space, which is too often been using, you know, I'd love to say they're using Venmo and cash apps, but often they're just using cash, like, you mm -hmm. know, yeah. really, really, um, really solutions that aren't sophisticated. Um, and then obviously, as you mentioned, the spending and tracking is just a nightmare. And we basically solve that with, you know, one time, both virtual and physical cards um, that can be ordered. Um, uh, and, you know, really just giving them a place to have everything in, in one spot. At the end of the year, we, we tag all those transactions into different expense categories, prepare their tax filing, show it to them. They can make edits as they need and they file it off. Um, so that's really how we sort of think about it. It's your place to build your budget, to manage your money, to bank and to, you know, deal with all those headaches that you just don't have time to deal with. And I think that. Um, you know, the biggest pain point here is is really time. Like a, a treasurer usually has a job, a family. They're not a finance manager. I mean, if you look at QuickBooks, 
it's an awesome solution, but it, you know, you, you got to devote time to build, build it out. And, and that's why it's really and, good for finance managers and accountants but for a treasurer. Like this is not appropriate. Right. So, so we sort of try and shave away everything they don't need, keep what they do. Um, and, and, you know, have them this one place that they can then transfer it over in a, you know, don't lose that information and, 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 and lose that knowledge transfer year to year and actually have some continuity in these clubs and groups year over year. This is uh, fantastic. Tell, tell us a little bit more about the tax filings. I'm curious about that. So I get like keeping track of this spending, help categorize them. Like, you know, I'm just kind of envisioning my online bank, you know, to say, you know, you ordered some groceries from Instacart, like we're going to tag that as groceries, right? And so there's yeah. some, like intuitive kind of AI in there for that. But tell us a little bit more about the tax filings that Crowded does. Um, you know, is this the 990s that you all are doing or yeah. that 1099s, or I guess maybe it's not through 1099s or how does that work? Yeah. So we only do what's called 990Ns or 990EZs uh, for uh -huh. organizations under half a million dollars. Um, uh, we do have, as I mentioned before, we do have some clients that are, uh, are more than that, but we can't unfortunately do taxes for them yet. And I think sure. we are focused more on those smaller nonprofit groups is plenty. Once you get to be a bigger size, you know, you do need, you do need a CPA services. Sure. Um, so yeah, essentially, uh, those forms are really simple. They're standardized. Mm -hmm. Um, they, you don't have to, um, you know, exactly, uh, you know, tag expenses down to the level of groceries, you right. know, um, they're very high level expense categories. Mm -hmm. Um, and as I mean, they're standardized. So we just tag them. Obviously if a tag's been misplaced, which, which happens in any system, it can be edited. Um, sure. so, um, but that's, that's basically how we do. And then we populate the PDF, um, and submit. So you had mentioned before, I, I was originally going to ask, you know, why did you choose on some of these smaller organizations? Um, you know, I know that you kind of your, you have mentioned kind of your ideal client or, or typical client is, is typically less than, um, or I should say user client, you know, uh, is less than 500,000. And interestingly enough, so we tend to work with, with a little bit larger organizations at the charity CFO, which is my accounting firm. We typically work between like one and five million. And what I love about your product is that you're really working with those smaller organizations. And I think I read some statistics somewhere um, within the last couple of years that 80% of nonprofit organizations have a budget of less than 250,000. I think that a lot of organizations realize or they just think about themselves, well, we're just a small fish and all these other organizations are much larger. And, you know, they, um, you know, we're, we're still kind of struggling to find our way or eventually we'll grow to that point. But the reality is the overwhelmingly vast majority of nonprofits will um, always stay less than that 250,000, right? 80% um, of yeah. them is with the statistic that I read. And I don't know if that jives with what you've studied, um, Daniel, in your market, but um, I think what's really important for all of these nonprofits, whether you're thinking about starting a nonprofit, I always tell people find solutions to keep track of your money from day one, preferably don't wait until it's a huge mess and you have to go back. I mean, if you're in that situation, you can get that fixed, you know, but, but if you could start that way from the very beginning. So those folks that are thinking about starting a club or, you know, some sort of association or file any sort of like, you know, nonprofit uh, application and you get that designation, start tracking these things from the very beginning and understand that you might fall under that threshold of 250,000, which you could use platforms like you're talking about with Crowded that keep track of all your revenue, keeps track of all your expenses and does your tax filing too. Because a lot of people think, well, my nonprofit didn't have a lot of activities, so do I really have to file a tax return? Yes, 
The answer is yes. If you are a nonprofit, unless you have a religious exemption, unless you have a religious exemption, so think of a house of worship, not you're a faith-based ministry and, you know, you uh, and a few of your, you know, members of your church decided to start this other organization, like a preschool, for example, this is very common. That does not give you a religious exemption if you start in a separate entity rooted kind of in your community of faith. It has to be a house of worship typically. So anyway, I'm on my soapbox, you know, because I see this all the time, like, oh, I didn't know I had to file a tax return. The IRS will automatically revoke your status after three years failure to file your tax return. So even if you had no activity in a particular year, so go file the tax return. If it's a little bit of activity, so go file the tax return. Like, <laughs> so, um, and I know that that's an area where a lot of nonprofits get themselves in trouble because they don't have that skill that they can't afford to hire a CPA. It doesn't really make sense for them to hire a CPA. But they don't have that skill set in-house to know, okay, what do I have to file a tax return? Like you said, Daniela, if you're someone that does these tax returns, they're not overly complicated compared to some of our IRS yeah. filings, right? And the, and the grand scheme of the United States, like, compliance, they're not overly complicated. So using a system um, like yours would be a great solution for these organizations that are, you know, less than that five hundred or $250,000 mark, so... Was there any other reason, Daniel, like operationally that you felt like there's some common themes or why you chose to kind of seemingly market based on your website, like Greek life society or, you know, sororities, fraternities, clubs, that sort of thing. Any other reasons why you would have chosen kind of that market or why this product really makes sense for these organizations? So we, we launched like in the college space and, and specifically Greek life mm -hmm. um, because they're the most messy. <laughs> Um, <laughs> quite, quite frankly, mm -hmm. in more ways than one, but, um, yeah, they're just, you know, completely disorganized. I actually, you know, that was where I first noticed the problem. Um, and, um, you know, I think there was just a, a lot of receptiveness, you know, young people these days are definitely looking as their default solution to all their problems is technology, um, mm. and, and better, better software. So there wasn't as much market education, um, you know, like, like you've devoted your career to doing it. It was more like the, oh no, the way I'm going to solve my problem is software. The way I have a problem sure. with my, even my personal life, I'm solving with software, you know? Um, yes. so, so, so that's why we went there. And then, uh, but, but we knew from the beginning that one of the problems that had been, you know, there have been people who've tried, you know, not something similar, but, but things that are not too different to what we do. Um, and one of their problems was that they were very, very verticalized. So there would be a payment processor for fraternities. There's mm -hmm. a payment processor for summer camps. There's a spending solution for X, what have you, um, uh, spending solution for booster clubs is this one or two. Um, and, and really all these organizations have the same pain points. They have the same problem. They have the same mm -hmm. user story. Um, and you know, from a, from an accounting perspective at the end of the, the year, it's the same form. So mm -hmm. we really tried to take an agnostic approach. It's very difficult because, you know, um, you, you'll have customers say, oh, I want you to build me this. And then you realize, oh, that's very much a fraternity type thing or sorority type thing. And we, our play is bigger and you've got to sometimes say no, um, mm -hmm. uh, which, which isn't easy, but the idea is basically to, to the, the more, you know, pretty much any small nonprofit membership group can use us. Um, and that's how we really focus on the, the agnostic approach where, so mm -hmm. yeah, basically. The... Yeah. I love that. I think sometimes organizations think that their operations is extraordinarily unique, but like you said, you know, a lot of the entry points for which they're getting information, whether it's membership views. Um, so you tend to work with just kind of on your website, Greek life, 
college club, groups, association, boarding club, booster club, summer camps. Think about all those PTOs. Either they're earning revenue in some way, selling yeah. t-shirts, you know, whatever, getting some sort of membership or just general like donations or charging tuition or whatever it might be that they're earning revenue or getting donations in some way. And then they're typically spending money on things like supplies, maybe some contractors, like the names of those contractors might be different. The types of supplies might be slightly different. Sports equipment versus, you know, art supplies. I don't know. Um, but yeah. like you said, the tax return is the same. So kind of if yeah. similar things are going in and the end product is going to look the same, you know, you can, um, you know, leverage the software even if you think operationally your, your organization is much different. And so that makes a lot of sense yeah. for sure. So any of those like PTO organization, I'm just thinking about all of these things. Um, something else that comes to my mind is, um, you know, we've worked with faith-based organizations that tend to have a lot of these, we'll call them community groups that operate like the women's auxiliary group or the men's auxiliary group and like the parents of young children group. And, you know, there's all these different groups that are kind of operating out of that space and operationally it makes it really challenging for the accounting, doing the accounting work that it's not really just managing one organization. It has one organization, but consolidated into it are all of these other kind of community groups in which people are trying to contribute and spend money um, on very specific things. So I think this could be a good solution for that as well. So do you- Yeah, one of the things- Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Sure. Sorry, just on that, like one of the things we built was basically a system of sub-accounts so that, you know, a lot of these organizations are multi-chapter. Um, so they'll have, you know, a local chapter here and a local chapter there, and they need a sort of a place to sort of view that. So, um, we can do that in two ways. We can either, um, do it as genuine sub accounts where it's under one entity, or we actually have, um, the ability to create where each entity has its own EIN and it's its own entity and that sort of a national dashboard, um, Mm -hmm. uh, where the user consents to having high level, uh, data shared with the national and this is something that you could never get at a bank you can never go to the bank yeah. and say hey listen this is a chapter of mine could you please let me know uh how how, how, how how what percentage of their dues they've collected i mean the bank would say please leave right now yeah um, you know? <laughs> sure. so, so so there's all these sort of things that are very obvious to this market that are just foreign to the mainstream finance and banking world um and really trying to you know get as much of that into the product as possible well and frankly it would be cost prohibitive for say a small organization with multiple chapters to go to a CPA and expect them to keep track of all of their detailed accounting by some sort of subcategory, right? Uh, If you were to say you have 10 different chapters or five different chapters, whatever, you know, that's really going to drive up the cost of your accounting bill every single transaction. You either have to allocate expenses or you have to track, like you have to tell your CPA which transaction goes where. Um, and if there's a ways that you can use software to, to get the end result. Um, and that's a bit of the challenge that I've noticed, Daniel, with some organizations. They could be really small in budget size. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're simple in their complexity oh, or yeah. how their leadership wants to see things because we have these separate buckets of money. And from a CPA perspective, it's like you are way too complicated for the size of organization that you are. You're going to end up spending way more money than what is really sustainable or appropriate for an organization of your size to keep track of these things in the way in which you want it. So it sounds like this might be a good alternative for, for those organizations that find themselves in that camp. I know I've had those conversations before. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So you're in the fintech world and, and obviously you're paying attention to the nonprofit space. And this is something that I like to joke with within my firm that we're actually an IT company that happens to do accounting for nonprofits. I have seen 
so many software solutions out there. Like you said, it's typically because we work with larger scale organizations. We see all sorts of platforms like, you know, donor databases, membership databases, and payment processors like a mile long, like list is a mile long. It's overwhelming now. Um, in just all of the different platforms that nonprofits can use, some are integrated, some are not integrated. And I know some organizations don't even get involved with the whole like technology space and kind of modernizing some of their um, financial management or otherwise. Um, I think it's just really overwhelming. So from somebody that kind of operates in this space, have you ever talked to nonprofits or have any like words of advice on, all right, I know I need to modernize some of these things. Um, I don't even know how to get started. I think people get overwhelmed by all the options and information, but then I think they also get overwhelmed by the, I know this one sounds great. I don't have any capacity to implement these sort of things. I don't even know how to get started. We're trying to keep our heads above water as is. Um, and because of that, they tend to fall um, further and further behind, or they're just not moving forward with kind of modernizing some of these things. So what advice do you have for anyone listening that's like, okay, I need to implement these things? The first thing I say is that they have a point, right? Like it's very, very hard to manage lots of different applications well and get your full use and money's worth out of them. Mm -hmm. And I would recommend doing more with less um, and mm -hmm. trying to find those applications which um, can give you more than one, solve more than one problem um, mm -hmm. for you and, and certainly your biggest problems. Um, I think that um, sometimes people are scared because they think, well, if I start modernizing this after modernizing this, I'm going to have 50 platforms and, you know, suddenly I'm going to spend all the, you know, few funds that I have on software. Mm -hmm. And and that doesn't have to be the case. So I, I do think some erring on, on a certain side of caution, not have what's, you know, a, a now a scientific term almost application overload, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, is, is important. Um, and we said that you do need the bare basics, like you need a bank account. So if you're going to go with yeah. a bank account, go with one that understands you and can do more for you, can file your taxes, mm -hmm. can help you with budgeting, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, and, and definitely make use of integrations. I think that that's really mm -hmm. important. So if something can ping you emails and something can, you know, ping you, um, you know, on, on Slack or whatever system you're using day to day, um, that mm -hmm. then do that because like, you don't want to have to switch all the time. Um, mm -hmm. from application to application. Um, so yeah, they're probably the two, two pieces of advice is do more with less and, and focus on integrations rather than new platforms. I really love that, Daniel. Do more with less. And I tell people a lot of times that in my, my advice for people is look at software that seems fairly intuitive. Because you had mentioned, Daniel, earlier, and I want to go back to this point because I thought it was a fantastic point, that the biggest I think point of friction or, or confusion or um, where things really fall apart with financial management is that yeah. right in our world, it's certainly maybe the treasurer, but the accountant doing the work. And in this case, with the types of organizations you're working with, typically the treasurer is doing the accounting, right? Um, you know, I have a neighborhood association that's kind of going through some, you know, different groups and clubs that I'm in that it's such a nightmare to try to get those records and things like that. So when you're looking for software, think about something that's fairly intuitive that I think is pretty user-friendly that the next person in line will be able to understand pretty easily um, and maybe document like, the functionality of how you use these things or where the stuff is stored. And what I really like about platforms that are very user-friendly, it's very easy for the next person to come in and just get up to speed pretty quickly. And we've had organizations, it's like, no, you know, we're really special and we've got all this complexity. 
we need to have this like really, really sophisticated accounting system. And I'll tell them, okay, that's fine. But when you implement that platform, that's going to make sense to the person that was there during the implementation. And I've experienced this before in my own life, back when I used to work for a nonprofit. I was there and we had this really sophisticated, very expensive platform. You had to have something short of a computer science degree to actually be able to import things into the software. I kid you not. You had to have this whole text file with all this coding. And if you corrupted that file, you're just toast. I mean, <laughs> the feature is yeah. basically broken. Um, and I don't do coding. So um, anyway, get a platform that while it might make sense for the person now that you can guarantee or that there are resources out there or that it's easily trainable to the next person. Because if you get a system that works really, really well now for this person, that person will eventually leave. And then a lot of that functionality of that software, to your point, Daniel, might become underutilized, not usable at all. Um, the integrity of the accounting might start to kind of fall apart. You know, the structure of how you've set it all up might have made sense to that person. It doesn't really make sense anymore. So kind of think about the um, transferability of those platforms to the next person in line and, and make sure it's fairly intuitive. Um, that's a big piece of advice that I that I find. And oftentimes I talk people into using less expensive options that are a little bit more out of the box because you can customize them to a certain degree. It's like you don't need to spend all of that money on something. To your point, Daniel, you won't end up using all of the features anyway. So get yep. what you need, buy what you need. Um, and like you said, kind of consolidate some of those features. I like that tip too. So Daniel, if people want to find more about this platform that you've created, where should they go? What is the easiest you know, means to get in touch with you uh, or to see a little bit more about what this platform has. Definitely uh, website, bankingcrowder.com. We actually recently launched a new website. Um, hey. You can you can sign a, you can sign up for an account uh, right there and then and, and, and uh, sort of have a play around yourself or we can do a demo um, and hear okay. the needs of your organization uh, and make sure it's all customized for you. So you can do both those things through our website. Great. I love that. And and I realized, Daniel, I checked out your website earlier and I saw that your platform integrates with a lot of these different platforms that I find so many of these smaller organizations working with, whether it's QuickBooks or Shopify, Venmo, PayPal, you know, all of these different um, platforms. So bankingcrowded.com, we'll go ahead and enter that in the show notes. And I did notice there's an option to do a free demo there if you want to take a look at it for anybody that's looking for a solution for all of their financial headaches. Um, Daniel, this has been such a cool conversation and kudos to you for finding a solution to help the overwhelming majority of these nonprofits that I would say many, um, you know, professional service providers, um, software solutions, uh, they, they tend to kind of forget about some of these smaller organizations, even though that is the overwhelming majority of, of the types of nonprofits out there. So thank you again for creating the solution. And hopefully you all that are listening found this useful. Again, go to bankingcrowded.com. Daniel, thanks so much for this conversation. Thanks so much, Tasha. Thank you. Thank you for listening to a modern nonprofit podcast powered by the Charity CFO. If your nonprofit is needing help with accounting or bookkeeping, head on over to thecharitycfo.com to find information on the work we are doing with other nonprofits. If you found this information helpful, please give us a five-star rating on your podcast streaming platform so other nonprofit leaders can find us. We appreciate your support and we'll see you on the next episode.